Good morning. The reading from Joshua chapter 6, verses 27 to 7, verse 25. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. But the Israelites acted unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai. They killed about 36 of them. So they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out your name, our name, from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, and they have put them in their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run, because they have not been liable to destruction. I will be with you. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by by family, and the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with the things that belong, all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come before forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. 
Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. The Lord said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua went, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Anchor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And from the book of John, chapter 7, verse 53. Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The Israelites, oh, the t- sorry, <laughs> sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees came in, brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stopped, stooped down, and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, and only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The word of the Lord. Well, thanks for reading that, Jan. That's uh, two very difficult but uh, very inspiring passages and uh, events. Uh, Let's take a minute to pray. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. 
We thank you that we can learn from these stories, these events, that you still speak to us today through them, Lord, as difficult as they are to read, as difficult as they are to understand, Lord. They still hold truths. They still hold uh, principles of your love and your standards and the grace that you've given us, Lord, to live into. Uh, may we just glean something from them this morning. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us, we pray, as we uh, spend a few minutes looking at these, uh, these important lessons from, from your word this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want you to bear with me for a few minutes. Uh, this is still a little bit new to me uh, doing this. I'm not totally used to this. So if it's awkward for me, it's okay if it's awkward for you as well. Uh, I have two cameras running right now. So if I'm looking somewhere else, bear with me. Uh, I'm just going to take whichever one kind of has the uh, cleanest, less distracting um, feed right now. Uh, so the title of my talk for the next few minutes is Losing Containment. Losing Containment. Uh, I don't know if maybe you're a, a bit of a sci-fi nut like me, uh, but in some of the shows they talk about losing containment. Maybe it's a reactor that's about to blow. Uh, maybe it's at the climax of the story. Things aren't going well. They can't contain it anymore. Uh, things are getting out of control. Maybe something's about to blow up if they lose containment. So I want to talk about losing containment in a good way this morning, realizing that sometimes it's okay to talk about losing something uh, in a good light, that it's okay to lose something. We're going to talk for a few minutes about these two different events that Jan read, uh, one of them in the Old Testament in Joshua 6, and one of them in the New Testament in John chapter 8. Uh, so if you have a Bible in the house, in the room, maybe you have a Bible app on your phone or tablet, I just encourage you to grab those right now, have those in front of you. Uh, those are pretty big passages that she read, and uh, I want those to speak to you this morning as they've spoken to me. Now, I know that guys do this really well, uh, but I know we can't take all the credit, ladies. We uh, section parts of our life off. We contain it in little areas, little boxes. Uh, we talk about the different roles, the different hats that we have to wear. Uh, we section or contain these things very well. I think all of us sometimes do it too well. Our culture and society teaches us that it's normal, that it's okay, until it spills out into a scandal or a truth that sometimes might shock or disgust others. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to a funeral and I've learned more about that person's life than I have in a few years of actually knowing them. It can be a really cool thing to, to celebrate their life and celebrate their achievements and to hear the stories that people share and, and to laugh and to cry but how cool would it be to know more of a person's story, to know more of their life when they're right here with us still, when they can share it with us? As we read of in today's readings, we read of two very different situations and different people that lived very separate, very contained lives. And Jesus teaches us over and over that having self-contained little boxes can be disastrous especially when it comes to our spiritual life. Unfortunately, in today's society, it's all about image. 
It's like saying it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you look in each other's eyes. Maybe it's all about how many followers or friends you have on social media. Maybe how many people look up to you or how you want to be more like the person that you want to portray. If you think of your how, your, yourself like having these little rooms in a house, there are public rooms that you don't mind people visiting. And as long as the public rooms look good, then it's okay. And there are private rooms, rooms that no one ever checks out. Maybe it's like a crawl space in your house. Maybe it's like an attic or a broom closet. But uh, it doesn't matter what those look like because guests don't really see those. Maybe you have a, a nice guy persona at work uh, or a great family figure place or a face, but you get the point. We read of a guy like, like Aiken who on the surface had a lot of things going for him, but he also had a lot of stuff going on that he didn't let people see. He had some stuff that was hidden under his tent that he didn't let anyone know about. A little bit of backstory when it comes to talking about Achan, when we're catching up with him here in this chapter. Uh, Israel was led by Joshua. They still are at this point. They had just taken the city of Jericho, just like God told them to do. It was a city that was like a fortress. It had big walls, and God told them to have a very specific strategy for taking the city. They were supposed to walk around it for seven days, and on the seventh day, They were supposed to do it seven times, letting out a loud shout, blowing the horns, and then God brought the walls down. It was a great victory, one that they didn't have to earn or work hard for, but God's favor was on them. The victory was given to them. Once there, once the walls were down, they were told to go into the city. They had a very special set of instructions. They were to go into the city take control of it. It was to be theirs, but they weren't allowed to take any of the spoils of war. All the valuables were supposed to be consecrated to God. And so they did as far as they knew they did. Israel was on a roll. Things were going great and all seemed in order. They had been slaves for hundreds of years and now they are marching into their promised land. God had given them this great victory. They were still living in tents, probably tents of all different sizes. There were probably small tents, big tents. Uh, It was probably very impressive to see the whole nation of Israel coming together in this big encampment. There were no big walls set up. There were no brick walls, stone walls. They were in tents. Things were going well. They were probably very excited from this huge victory that they could only win with God's help. Joshua decided to keep going and fight the city of Ai. And that's where we pick up on the story that Jan read from. In Joshua 7 verse 1, it tells us that the whole nation, the children of Israel, was unfaithful to God with the devoted things. But still they decided to soldier on, sending spies on ahead to take the next city as well. They sent spies ahead and the spies came back and said, We don't need to bother sending the whole army. Two or three thousand will do the job. Well, as we read, it didn't go well for them. They actually lost 36 men, and they got chased out of Ai and far beyond that. 
And from this, verse 5 tells us that the hearts of the people melted in fear. The problem was Achan and what he did. He had a part of his life that was too self-contained, too separate from everyone else. Now, Achan was one of Joshua's respected soldiers. He had hidden this forbidden stuff under his tent. Now, apparently, no one else knew about it, but everyone else had to pay the price. It wasn't like there was this shifty-looking guy at night that went through and stole some jewelry. No, this was a man, a soldier that had it all together, that decided to take things into his own hands. First point I have for you today is that things may look great on the surface, but God sees underneath the surface. It's also interesting in this story to me that Joshua didn't even ask of God if they should keep going at this point and take the city of Ai. He knew that was the plan eventually, but instead he decided to, sp- to send his spies into the land and decide if this was the right time. Yeah, they were a huge nation that God was leading, but he didn't stop and talk to God and just confirm that that was the plan at this time. But yet, finally, Joshua does turn to God when things didn't go right, when they were suffering loss. Turns to God and asks why. See, Achan had done a good job of hiding his sin from men, but there's no way to hide it from God. Just like there's no way that we can hide our sin, our temptations, our attitudes, or our thoughts from God. He sees every grudge that we hold. He sees every bitterness that's in our hearts. Achan was mostly a good man, but that wasn't enough. He had some things under the surface that were holding him back and holding his family back and ultimately holding the nation back. He had a separate contained space that he was okay with having the things that went against God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your, holy, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer here is that God would make us clean and holy in every part of our life. Over and over again in the New Testament, it says that the early believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And even us today need him more and more in this day and age now than ever. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, it says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall be qualified to stand in his holy place? As God tells Joshua in 7.13, he says it's time to consecrate yourselves. Now what follows in Achan's story is a little hard to read. Him and his family are essentially killed for what Achan did. Now, maybe you're thinking that's a little harsh. Why would God allow that? How could a loving God allow that? But remembering that this is a very specific punishment in a very specific circumstance, in a very specific point in Israel's history. God, through Moses, set up commands to avoid this very thing. Achan's sin brought judgment on the whole nation of Israel. Though it was only Achan's failure, God saw it as a national disobedience to a national law, to a standard for the whole people of Israel. God needed the whole nation to be committed to the job that they agreed to do, 
to conquer the land. If Achan's sin went unpunished, they'd have unlimited looting breaking out in every city during every victory. The whole nation needed to take responsibility if they were to move forward and stop this intentional disobedience. See, Achan's sin wasn't just uh, keeping some of the loot for himself, but it was disobeying God's direct command, even though he had a responsibility given to him. He was being indifferent to the idolatry in that city that God gave them the victory over. I like to compare um, this one to the story in John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery. The very reason that she was brought before Jesus was very different uh, than Achan brought before God and the people of Israel. See, in this story, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't care about the woman, but this was a trap that was set up to trick Jesus. And I've got to give them credit. It was actually a pretty brilliant one. See, if Jesus said that the woman should not be stoned, then they would accuse Jesus of breaking Moses' law, breaking God's law. If Jesus urged them to execute her, then they'd report Jesus to the Roman government because Jews had no authority to carry out their own executions. But Jesus, full of his wisdom and grace, tells those without sin to throw the first stone. And eventually everyone leaves, starting from the oldest to the youngest. Now, this is probably because the oldest realized that they had a lot more sin in their lives than the younger ones. Everyone leaves until the woman is left alone with Jesus. Those that were there to condemn her were gone. And Jesus says that he no longer condemns her. And to leave her life of sin, to leave her pattern of sin and the behavior that she has. Now, this is a challenge to all of us, not to condemn each other, but to build each other up, to encourage one another daily, and to leave our patterns of sin, to forget those things that we have behind barriers under the surface. Now, we can only do that by allowing one another into our stories, to know the things that we've walked through, to know the things that we, we struggle with, to be real with one another. We can only intentionally take down the walls and the barriers that we've put up. To do this, we need to have an intentional plan to allow people into our lives, to allow people to hear our stories. There's a saying that I like is, to fail to plan is a plan to fail. We can't just sit back and expect other people to ask questions about our lives. We can't just sit back and expect relationship to grow to have an influence into people's lives. But authenticity in our culture, in our society today, goes a long way. That's what we all crave, is to crave people that are real with their walk. To, we uh, crave people that are real with each other. Point number two, having containment in my life doesn't just affect me. You've got to have a plan of action to allow others to speak into your life and to allow you to speak into others' lives. Because you do have something unique to offer one another, even though you might not know it, 
even though you might not feel it at the time. You need to have a plan and run that plan by Jesus. Make sure it lines up with his plan and his word because the devil also has a plan for your life. I believe that any part of your life that's so sectioned off that you don't even allow God or godly principles to influence, if God's not in that part of your life, then that's also an opportunity for Satan to have a foothold in that part of your life. See, Achan's family, his farm animals, all died for what he had under the surface. And the Greek wording of the story of the woman in John chapter 8 indicates that uh, even though she was caught in adultery, she was married. I'm sure her husband still felt some consequences to her actions. And I'm sure that her partner, uh, who wasn't brought before Jesus, also had some consequences to the actions. Even though Jesus didn't condemn her, challenged her to leave those patterns that were leading her to uh, death and destruction, there were still real consequences, real uh, things that impacted those that were close to her. Now those situations, both Achan and this woman, they're drastic and they're unfortunate in the way that they involve such a messy sin. Being so isolated and self-contained hinders all aspects of our life, and it actually robs one another a valuable experience. Now, maybe you're thinking that you're not as bad as those two people. Maybe you don't have any sin that's under the surface. Maybe you, you think that you've dealt with all of that. Or anything in your life hasn't been brought uh, to the surface, or you've dealt with all that it has. I remember back to my Bible college days, uh, living in the dorms, and every semester, uh, our dean of men would kind of give us a rundown of, of the rules and the expectations uh, and just our life uh, in the community and our life at the Bible college. And uh, he would like to remind us from, from Numbers, uh, Numbers 32, 23, that our sin would find us out, that maybe we could hide things for a season. Maybe we could hide things from him. Maybe we could hide things from each other or lie about it. Uh, but God will eventually bring those things out to light. Maybe it's in our character later on in life. Maybe it's how we respond to others that are in the same situation. Even in these very different events, Achan and the woman that was caught, uh, the wages of sin is still death, as Paul reminds us uh, of this promise in Romans. Maybe it's an instant physical death as a consequence, or maybe it's the pain of a pattern of failures over the years that brings us into a downward spiritual spiral until we reach rock bottom. But we're thankful that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you accept the gift of God, even through Jesus, his word says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son. Yeah, there's 1,400 years between the life of Achan and the life of Jesus. And now, thankfully, we have a Savior that's paid the price 
for our sins and for our patterns of sins that we can never repay, that we can turn to him, that we can put our hope in him and confess uh, all of our struggles, all of our flaws uh, to each other, to build each other up, and ultimately to him. Point number three, we need to define what containment is in our own lives. Containment in our lives, I believe, is an effort to soothe our own conscience. It doesn't even have to do with only sin, whether we like to contain every single part of our lives into neat compartments, whether I tell myself, I can't share this part of my life, or no one wants to know this about me, why would they want to know that? Or this isn't the real me, or I don't need to show this part of myself to someone. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we're more prone to in life. When you have contained uh, well-defined boxes for your different roles, you risk isolation and stagnation. You look like a totally different personality when you're at work compared to when you're at home. And that's not always a good thing. The most interesting part of getting to know someone is knowing their story, how they react when things are going well, how you react when things are going bad, when you're playing golf, when you get cut off in traffic, when you're watching your favorite show or watching your favorite sport. Those are the parts of you that people want to know, those dynamic parts. Maybe you have colorful language, maybe you have a colorful attitude. But those are the things in your life that can bless other people to see how you respond, not just the painted on mask of who you are on a Sunday morning, but those real aspects of life that we all have to walk through. Some of them are hard. Some of them are painful. Some of them are great. Some of them we can celebrate together. But God can take all of our faults, all of our failures and make a beautiful story if we're humble if we turn our face towards him, he can make those things beautiful in our lives and to teach others. I want to tell you a story that you might have heard before. There was a water bearer that had two large pots. And on the end of those, those uh, pots, there was a pole that were holding them up and he carried them across his neck on his back. Now, one of the pots had a crack in it. Well, the other pot was perfect, and it always delivered a full portion of water. At the end of the long walk from the stream to the house, the cracked pot always arrived half full. The poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was only able to accomplish half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it thought was a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, it said, and I want to apologize to you. I've only been able to deliver half of my load because of this crack in my side. It causes water to leak out all the way back to the house. Because of my flaws, you've had to do all this work, and you don't even get full value from your efforts. So the bearer stopped and said to the pot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on one side of this path, but not on the other pot side? That's because I have always known about your flaw and I planted flower seeds on your side of the path and every day while we walk back, you've watered them. 
For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate the table. With, without you being just the way that you are, there would not be this beauty to grace the house with. I'm thankful that God uses us cracked pots to bless one another. He uses us to, to encourage one another. When we tell our story, when we be real with the things that have happened in our life that cause us pain, whether that's uh, a sin, whether that's an attitude, whether that's a thought, whether that's a flaw that we think we need to keep hidden. No, when we're real with one another, that's when God can use our humbleness and our vulnerability. We all reflect God's glory. We all have a story of his faithfulness. One thing I love about our times together is we share testimony. Some of those are are painful testimonies. Some of those we can encourage one another. Some of those we can pray with one another in. So I'm thankful that we can build one another up through the things that he's doing in our life. Now, I realize that this season has been a time of isolation, that this season has been a time of lockdown, that these sessions on Zoom, they are tough. I struggle with them too. Uh, it's just not the same being able to relate with one another. But I'm thankful that we have this, this time for a season, this tool. So, like I've said before, it's a time to be creative. It's a time to rely on the Holy Spirit's inspiration. It's a time to call one another up, send a message, say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Or, hey, this is why I have reason to celebrate today. So as, as I kind of close this part of our, our time together down, um, there are two things that I want you to do, either in a watch party in the home that you're at together with someone else, or as we transition to breakout rooms for a few minutes, I hope that you'll stick around. But I have two questions that I want you to uh, answer and kind of resound with one another in. And I hope that you're a little bit comfortable in sharing this. Uh, it does prompt uh, a little bit of your story out uh, just by answering these two questions. So what I want you to do now in, in either your, your breakout rooms uh, as I send you out or in these watch parties is I want you to think of at least seven roles that you have or seven hats that you wear. And as you do that, I want you to be specific about them. I don't want you to just say, oh, I'm a father, or I'm a dad, or I'm a grandfather. But I want you to be specific and say, uh, for example, I'm a father of two daughters and a son that are living with me. Or instead of just saying, I'm a retiree, I want you to say, I'm a retiree from 30 years at the mill, and uh, I enjoy spending more time traveling now. What I want you to do through that is just add a bit more context, a bit more story to that role that you have. And uh, hopefully out of sharing that, we'll create a little bit more dialogue. Second thing I want you to do is in one of these roles that you've thought of and shared, just pick one of them. I want you to think back to an experience or something that happened that maybe made you upset or emotional at the time, but now you can look back uh, and remember fondly now. Maybe you can laugh about it, but uh, maybe it was something that you had to do in a job once, uh, or maybe it was an experience that you had with one of your kids growing up, but uh, just to define uh, who you are a little bit more in your small group, 
Again, it's not meant to be a heavy exercise. I don't want you to feel the burden of doing this, but I want you to feel comfortable sharing in your group, uh, whether that's a watch party or a breakout room, uh, as we remove some of uh, the self-contained areas in our lives and let each other into our stories a bit more. Now, I know that I'm intentionally leaving off a time of testimony and prayer as a corporate group, but I want you in your small breakout room uh, or in your watch party where you're at uh, to be a time of testimony to each other, to be a time of prayer, of encouragement, of celebration. Uh, just take two or three minutes and uh, close off your breakout room in prayer and let these questions, I'll leave them up on the screen, guide some of your conversation. So just by way of announcements, just a reminder that we are having a gathering of 50 people max next week as government regulations allow. Hopefully that cap will get bigger soon. Uh, so our gathering size will get bigger as well. It'll probably be an outdoor gathering that you need to register for, uh, either getting in touch with the church office or using the Eventbrite link that was sent out. Don't worry, there's no cost for the tickets or you don't need to print anything out. It's just a tool that we're using to manage numbers. Uh, if you aren't able to come to this outdoor gathering, there will be an online option still. Uh, we'll be streaming that. Uh, so keep an eye open for the emails, the communication that's going to come forward. But I look forward to, uh, to seeing you in person. Let me take a few minutes in prayer. God, we're so thankful for who you are and the way that you love us. God, we all have a unique story to tell. We all have flaws, we all have faults, we all have failures. Uh, but Lord, you use us still and we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we can build each other up. We're thankful that we can encourage one another. We're thankful that we can celebrate with one another, Lord. And as we... Uh, are vulnerable as we're authentic with one another, Lord. May you just use uh, what we have. May you just use who we are, the experience that we've had, Lord, to just pour into one another's life, Lord, just like a cracked pot that creates beautiful flowers, Lord. We might not realize the parts of our story that can bless one another's life, Lord, but Holy Spirit, we just ask that you illuminate uh, parts of our life. We just ask that you illuminate uh, your words and the experience that you've walked through us with uh, to encourage one another. We're so thankful that you never leave us where we're at, Lord. We're thankful that you don't condemn us. We're thankful that you don't turn us away, Lord. But your grace covers up all those things about us that we don't like and that you still love us, you still use us. We thank you for the way that you've spoken to us today, Lord. I just, uh, I pray that uh, the words from Scripture have come alive to us, Lord, in whatever space, whatever posture that we're in, Lord. We just thank you for this time that we can have together, whether that's uh, watching on our own, whether that's watching uh, with a group of people today, Lord. Uh, may this uh, short time that we have together on Sundays uh, just be encouraging. We just thank you for this tool uh, as we kind of progress from that, Lord, we just ask that you're in every decision uh, as we look to gather together, Lord. We know that uh, being compliant with authorities 
uh, as we navigate that, uh, we just ask for your wisdom in that, Lord. We know that gathering together might not look like all we want it to at first, Lord, but we're thankful that we're flexible and that we have uh, your creativity and your inspiration, Lord. Continue to speak to us today, Lord. Uh, I just ask for um, more, uh, more of you as we share these different roles, these different hats that we have. May you just speak to one another. Uh, use our stories to speak to one another, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you.